Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, what we learned from the congressional grilling of Google's CEO and Uber's IPO takes a giant step forward. But first, some self-reflection. So it's been a bit over two years since I decided to join Axios after a career with established media brands like Reuters and Fortune. And I remember at the time talking about my decision over drinks with a friend who isn't at all in this business, but who sometimes reads my stuff, I think out of a sense of obligation. And he was pretty confused. He asked, don't most startups fail? before citing a whole list of potential pitfalls, which included, among other things, launching at what seemed to be a market peak. Facebook, he reminded me, launched out of a recession in 2004, and then he asked if it was too late for me to change my mind. So my response to him then, and to those who ask similar questions now, was twofold. First, I happen to really like and respect the founders and long ago concluded that who you work with is easily as important as where you work. And second, I had indeed covered startups for a very long time and figured it was my turn to walk the walk and also kind of gain a deeper, more visceral understanding of what it takes to launch a new business. So the bottom line, a lot of the cliches about startups, like being able to move faster and be more experimental, are true. And so is the driving pressure to iterate and grow and the centrality of hiring smart because doing the opposite could be catastrophic. Also true are a lot of the complications around things like raising venture capital and managing early social media characterizations that can quickly become canon. So this morning, I want to dive deeper into this with Evelyn Rusley, a former top business reporter who in 2005 co-founded a fresh baby food startup called Yumi. We'll talk to her in 15 seconds. Every day, about 20 million questions are answered on SurveyMonkey. And those answers help people around the world be better at their jobs, whether they want to improve their customer experience, recruit and retain a stellar workforce, or learn which ideas, products, or campaigns will be a winner. Find out why 98% of the Fortune 500 trust SurveyMonkey. Visit surveymonkey.com slash prorata today. We're joined now by Evelyn Rusley, co-founder and president of Yumi and a former business reporter with TechCrunch and the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. So, Evelyn, let's start the start here. You were a really good reporter and one who regularly caused me all sorts of heartburn. So did you always plan on doing something different or was this some sort of startup serendipity? More so startup serendipity, but I would say also in between that in the sense that I think when I was 18 and deciding that I wanted to be a journalist, I really thought I was going to make it to a newsroom and die in a newsroom. So that was the plan for many years. And I think in the process of covering startups and entrepreneurism, it was kind of inspiring. You realize how you can create massive impact at scale. But I think it wasn't until I met my now husband who started to plant the seeds because he's also a serial entrepreneur that, hey, like this actually would be a great fit for you. You should really think about it for the next phase of your life. So that kind of got the ball rolling. And then how Yumi came to be. So Yumi is a new nutrition wellness company for babies. And as of today, I do not have any babies. So sometimes people ask me like, why this company of all the companies you could have co-founded? And it was really driven, inspired by my co-founder's first experience as a mother. So she's been a friend for many years, also introduced to her by my now husband. And, you know, when she had her first daughter, she was really kind of flabbergasted by how terrible the options were at the grocery store and yet how important that period was. So it was sort of a confluence of factors. It wasn't kind of in the game plan all along. You're more than most people aware that most startups fail a very quick and violent 
death. Did that not just <laughs> freak you out or were your heart and head in conflict with each other? It's definitely something that freaks you out. I think you have to walk into it knowing that those are the odds. Like it's going to be a really tough road, right? So even the best startups that we think are rocket ships or not rocket ships usually their entire tenure. So that is something I, I definitely thought of. You know, when I was looking at and doing the calculus, I was like, okay, well, I'm in my early 30s. You know, I can work crazy hours every day. I could work 20 hour days. I didn't actually see myself doing that later in life. So it's sort of this, this is kind of the best period. If I'm going to do it, I better do it now. And then I kind of weighed, well, what is like the worst case scenario? And I, I figured the worst case scenario, right? It was like everything goes to ashes, things implode, things don't work out. But in the process, I would have learned a lot about myself, my ability to operate a company. You now have been, though, you ground floor and you guys have raised venture money and, and you're expanding. If you think of the last couple of years, what's the biggest thing you think you've learned about, whether it be startup life or launching a company or running a company that you either didn't know previously from your journalism life or at least maybe didn't fully appreciate? Yeah, I mean, I think you don't know what you don't know <laughs> when you walk into something. And I could kind of like pick apart what it would take to build a company. Like I could conceptualize it right from the start. I was thinking, okay, I got to figure out payroll. I have to figure out the hiring practices or I have to you know, figure out what the culture would be. All these things like in isolation, you can kind of imagine, figure out like who would be the smart people you would talk to and then just troubleshoot your way through it. But then I think when you're co-founding a company, when it's really like you and your co-founder, you don't realize how many decisions you have to constantly make it any given juncture at any given hour or point of the day. Are we too hard on, on fa do you think we are? Because you hear that from the Valley all the time. So I think yes and no. I think as a journalist, it is the obligation, it is part of the duty to be critical. Like journalists should have a critical eye on the industry. They should be looking for the warts, right? But I think just personally, like, you know, if I was to transition back, I think it would be really hard because I'd be so empathetic. And there are things, of course, you should never excuse. You guys are a consumer product, a baby consumer product, but obviously being bought by parents and adults. And there's a perception. So this mm -hmm. will be the media perception of consumer product startups that most of them ultimately get acquired. They don't stay as independent businesses, either privately or publicly. The Walker Company got bought this morning by P&G. These seem to keep happening. I'll often hear from founders, particularly at the early stages, like where you are, we never have interest in being acquired. We want to be independent until we die. How do you view that for yourself? And, and do you view yourselves eventually as being part of a bigger established legacy brand or legacy company? Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard not to have that lens, especially in the beginning, of wanting to build something really big that can go all the way to IPO that can be independent. You want to create your company in a way that it is going to be that big and meaningful and can stand on its own two feet. Now, I think if you look at the industry in general, and if you were to be pragmatic about it, most of these companies, most companies in CPG do end up being M&A targets. I think as founders, though, you just have to be really careful of that if you care about legacy and how the company is built even beyond you. When you're building it, you really want to build it to be as big and great as possible, that it doesn't need to be acquired. But like, you should also understand that like, that is a probable outcome. And then you should think about if that is something down the road that I should think about, what kind of partner would make that palatable? Thank you very much, Evelyn Rusley, co-founder and president of Yumi. My final two right after this.
An exciting new idea can change your business for the better. But did you know 95% of the 30,000 new products launched each year will fail? SurveyMonkey can help make sure this doesn't happen to you. Get feedback on your big ideas from your employees, customers, or prospects. To learn more, visit surveymonkey.com slash prorata today. Now it's time for my final two. And first up was the big hearing yesterday on Capitol Hill, where Google CEO Sundar Pichai was questioned on everything from alleged political bias and search results to the company's exploration of launching a censored search engine in China. Three big takeaways. First, Congress is still clueless when it comes to technology. It neither understands how technology works, nor do the Congress people seem interested in learning. And they're not even too embarrassed by their ignorance because if they were, they would have read up and studied up just a little bit after receiving similar criticism from their questioning of Mark Zuckerberg earlier this year. Second, Sundar Pichai does not seem too worried about the prospect of Google being broken up via antitrust, citing how there's still plenty of innovation and competition in Silicon Valley from startups and adding that the government should recognize and benefit from how bigness can be beneficial when developing vital technologies like artificial intelligence. And third, Pichai punted on the two big questions about if Google plans to launch that Chinese search engine, he again said it was just something they're, quote, exploring, and also how it will improve data privacy, just vague suggesting some alterations to location settings. And finally this morning, Uber has picked Morgan Stanley to be the lead banker on its upcoming IPO. Now, this is a big upset on Wall Street, as Goldman Sachs was long believed to have pole position. Part of the switch can probably be chalked up to the change in leadership at Uber last year when old CEO Travis Kalanick was shown the door, but perhaps it also goes to show that pandering can pay off as Morgan Stanley's top tech banker, Michael Grimes, actually spent a couple of weeks as an Uber driver as part of his pitch for the deal. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Grassi and Tim Shovers, have a great national gingerbread house day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata podcast.